This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. The United Nations, like the whole world, was uh, really moved and taken back by the killing, the murder of George Floyd. So what is the United Nations going to do about that? And will it make a difference? Coming up in this episode of Colors. Tyrese Coleman is a black woman. She is a writer, and she's from the tiny rural town of Brown Grove, north of Richmond. She went to visit, and when she got there, she was shocked. I noticed a lot of, you know, you know, orange cones, um, evidence that some things were, were happening. And so I asked my godmother, who um, still lives on the road, mm-hmm. what was going on, and she told me, Oh, well, Wegmans is going to be in my backyard. And that was no exaggeration. Imagine driving down a sleepy dirt road to the old home place and realizing the trees across the street from the house are going to be replaced with a massive building. The facility is being uh, compared to the size of the Pentagon. And not only that is happening. My family's cemetery abuts that property. And uh-huh. so it's unclear as to whether or not there are any additional um, burial sites that may end up actually on their property. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality. Exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. My name is Rajesh. I'm American, but my race is mixed with Indian and Hispanic. My name is John Echohawk. I'm uh, a citizen of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma. I'm JJ Green. I'm black, and this is Colors. The headline in the Washington Post magazine on August 4th was The Community of Brown Grove versus Wegmans. Why? African-American residents turned activists are trying to block a supermarket chain from building a warehouse in rural Virginia. There's a lot more to this story than the headline tells us. There's the African-American cemetery. There's the pushback against the activist. There are the questions about whether the activists are being unreasonable. And then there's, of course, the personal side. So for that, we talk to author Tyrese Coleman. Tyrese, I read your story, and full disclosure, those who've listened to this podcast since its beginning shortly after the death of George Floyd uh, on Memorial Day in 2020 have knowledge that I'm from rural Virginia, a place uh, that is very similar to what you write about. And that was one of the first things that caught my attention. 
was the community of Brown Grove versus Wegman. So basically a small town versus big business. So the story, as I understand it, is about this supermarket chain coming in, trying to build a warehouse and not, according to the folks in your community, taking the proper steps to uh, take care of wetlands, to take care of social and community concerns, some of it historical, having to do with cemeteries, uh, some of it has to do with environmental issues. So I wonder if you would just start us off by telling us how this came to your attention and why it's so important. It came to my attention, uh, I was visiting relatives last summer. Um, It was the first time I'd seen them since the, the pandemic had began and um, I was really just kind of taken aback driving through the driving on the roads. Um, I There were a bunch of signs that felt foreign to me. Um, the the signs with the truck and the and the red circle around it and and uh, they were just everywhere. And I had not heard about anything happening. Um, in the area beforehand. And then when I went down Egypt Road, which is the road that I grew up on, which is a dirt road um, that is um, that abuts the the distribution center's um, property, um, I noticed a lot of, you know, you know, orange cones, um, evidence that some things were were happening. And so I asked my godmother, who um, still lives on the road, mm-hmm. what was going on. And she told me, oh, well, Wegmans is going to be in my backyard. <laughs> and <laughs> wow. And at the time, it wasn't, you know, at the time, I thought that it it was it was a done deal, like a lot of the residents in the community w- were under the impression that this was going to happen a hundred percent certain it was going to happen. Um, but then I had spoken to some other family members and they kind of clarified what was going on. Um, you know, coming, not being there on an everyday basis, you know, hear about these things because yeah. there's, they aren't, you know, necessarily plugged in as much. So, um, so it, it, it picked up my interest in, in the way in which my family was talking about it. It, felt a little bit desperate. And so I felt a, a urge to write about it and find out more. Well, the story is a brilliant piece. It's a great piece. It, 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 it covers so much territory. Help us understand what exactly Wegmans wants to do and why they're going to Brown's Grove to do it. So Brown Grove is a area that is almost perfectly, uh, geographically speaking, perfect for a facility like this. There's access to I-95 in two directions. Um, So trucks, even though they're not allowing trucks to go in a certain path, if they wanted to, they could go, they could reach I-95 in two different ways within, you know, five minutes from one another. Um, and it's also an area that hasn't been fully developed. Um, so there's parts where there's just, you know, green everywhere, uh, even though, you know, it, 
feels residential, it is residential, it has been zoned as uh, industrial. So, and the land is cheap. Um, in fact, Wegmans just purchased the land uh, not too long ago for $4 million, which is, you know, the cost of a home here in the DC metro area. So how much, so, la- how much land was it? Um, it is, well, I know that there's 15 acres of wetlands, but I'm not exactly sure the uh, exact number of acreage mm-hmm. that they purchased. Um, but enough land to build a one million square foot oh, wow. facility, <laughs> and still have enough, uh, still have another one million square foot to build more in the future. Um, the facility is being uh, compared to the size of the Pentagon, so <laughs> lots of land. <laughs> wow. Um, so they so they were able to get that property um, for a very decent price. Uh, so that's also um, you know a good incentive to to build in that area, and and the county and the state um, are eager to bring in that revenue, that tax revenue, and um, you know bring in those jobs uh, and and you know show that the area is growing. Um, and and so there there are incentives for Wegmans to come in. There's um, incentives for the state and the county to bring them in. Um, so you know it it sort of made sense for them, um, especially considering the stores that they have located on the East Coast between yeah uh, here in North Carolina and New Jersey. Yeah. So why is this a problem for the residents of Brown Grove? Oh, it's a problem for a, a number of reasons. One is, you know, just sort of a, a aesthetic reason. I mean, you have people who have been living in this area for all for their entire lives. They've grown up there. Their entire families were there from the start. And you have this now huge facility that's going to be open 24 seven with floodlights, with um, large trucks, with um, continuous activity, literally in their backyard. Um, wow. So, so, so that aesthetic, that, that fear of, you know, looking behind you and no longer seeing the trees, but seeing something else is, is a huge issue. But also um, the fact that, there are potentially graves in the site that they plan to um, build on wow. that um, have, you know, through oral history been uh, discussed um, amongst the families that grew up in Brown Grove. Um, my family's cemetery abuts that property. And uh-huh. so it's unclear as to whether or not there are any additional um, burial sites that may end up actually on their property. Um, And then there's also the environmental impacts. Um, You know, this is a huge amount of wetlands, swamplands. And when you think about, you know, the fact that historically African-Americans were given land such as this because they weren't necessarily the greatest to cultivate. Mm -hmm. um, And now, you know, it's being cultivated, it's being taken by those individuals who didn't want it before. they they're 
there's people still on well water. There's people who are, um, you know, very much concerned about the ecosystem and um, plant life and organisms that live there. So there's a, a, a bunch of reasons why yeah. um, this is a concern for the community. So, yeah, let me unpack a little bit of this. Um, first of all, the thing that really caught my attention when I read this piece, and you just said it, I come from a rural community. And uh, I went with my mother, and I've been with her and my father in the past, to uh, family cemeteries on numerous occasions. And there was always this reference to, well, Grandpa or grandma so-and-so is buried here somewhere, and then uh, their ancestors are buried here, but they're back over there somewhere, and we don't have any records on exactly where the graves are and the headstones are missing from, you know, so many, so many years passing, and we don't know where they are, but we know they are back there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's this concern that somehow, some way, someone's going to build something or do something or disturb that earth and disturb that grave. So when I read what you were saying and heard what you said a few minutes ago, this is the thing that kind of jumped out at me that this is this is enormous. So mm-hmm. what is what first of all, what is Wegman's saying about the resistance and what are they doing about that concern that you brought up? The graves first and then the environmental piece. Right. So uh Wegmans is um, obligated to um, to stop any uh, construction or um, any further disturbance of anything historical or related to graves once they're found um, when they start the the construction of the distribution center, and that is uh, because of the um, the requirements associated with their federal permit. Um, there's already a, a historical site on the property that they are required to maintain. And so as part of the National Historic Preservation Act, they have to make sure that they don't disturb that, that property. And then in association with the memorandum of agreement that they have with other concerned parties, part of their obligation is to also, um, you know, search for the graves and to then, if they find them, um, you know, halt construction. The concern of the, the community with that is that the methods that they're using to search for the graves um, don't appear to be um, uh, to, their, to their satisfaction or rather don't appear to be a method that, that may result in the best mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in the best ability to find the graves. So mm-hmm. there's a dispute in terms of how, you know, the parties are going about finding the graves that's that's occurring. Um, so before you move and, on, just very quickly, yes. um, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, I read in your piece, this method of searching is less technological and sort of uh, eyeballing. Is that it? Right. Well, they, there's... Uh, sort of a historical search, um, looking through records. And then there's also, you know, kind of walking through the area and seeing what they can find. Yeah. Like you said, eyeballing it. Um, there was a decision not to use the ground penetrating radar because of the um, the vegetation in the area. There was concern that 
um, you know, they wouldn't be able to, it wouldn't be as effective because of how old the trees are. Um, but all of this is, um, you know, demonstrated through Wegmans and, and their statements on, on the methods that they're taking mm -hmm. to locate the graves. Um, and that's their responsibility to do so. There isn't, uh, you know, an, an overarching, um, there's no one kind of dictating how they go about it. They just have to do the work to try and find it. Um, yeah. And so there's been some disputing, some disputes as to whether or not that's the best way forward. Right. So um, you were you were saying I interrupted you. I'm assuming maybe you were moving on to the environmental piece of this or maybe some other uh, elements related to the, the grave search. But I will say this um, while you're considering where you're going next with this. You know, when you go to these cemeteries and you look at the, the, the dates on some of these gravestones, I mean, they date back centuries. You know, I'm mm -hmm. just saying in my in my own case. So I'm assuming this particular community has similar uh, grave markings and, and, and dates back to that same time frame. So can you just tell us how old is this community? Well, you know... <laughs> The community was there well before it was documented as being there. Wow. But, um, you know, my great grandmother several times removed is called the the mother of Brown Grove, who um, she had, you know, 13 some odd children and was born a slave uh, and lived into the 1940s. And some of the elders in our community still remember her. Um, and she is attributed as sort of helping to found the the area. And so a lot of the residents in the area are descendants of her. But uh, she was there because she was a slave. And so this this area was populated by um, freed slaves um, and uh, just built out from there. Not too far away from where Brown Grove is located is the town of Ashland. And Ashland, Virginia is um, is a very interesting his, interesting place historically. It's a town where people, rich white people from from Richmond, would come down and vacation because we had hot springs, um, and it was a there's a train stop, so it was a a, a very popular um, uh, busy location during the 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 Civil War where Confederate armies came. Um, so, I mean, I, I can go on and on talking about the history <laughs> yeah. of Brown Grove and Ashland, but it is, um, it's important to note that, you know, the community has been there. There are people whose families, you know, have never left mm -hmm. and whose homes, um, you know, have been there, I mean, for, for decades. And so the thought that now these graves that we don't even know how old they are because most of them don't have any markings at all. They're just bones in the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's almost, it feels almost impossible to actually date this uh, yeah. accurately, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's, that's a part of the deep concern that folks who are faced with this feel. And, and I only, I only know that because of my own experiences in my own hometown, uh, concerns about that. Um, let me, so let me play devil's advocate a little bit while we're discussing this. Um, okay. I am not sure, 
Uh, but reading your piece, I don't think that that community is is very affluent. It's very. Would you say it's middle class? Mm, no. <laughs> would you say I'd it's say, less than middle class? Yes, I would say. I would say for the most part. I think it would depend on what part of the community you're talking about. But okay. if I had to put an average on it, I'd say less than middle class. Okay, so then this building. Uh, this facility, according to Wegmans, is going to bring jobs there. It's going to bring money there. And I think the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, is sort of hailing it as, you know, economic development. Um, so uh, aside from what you've told us about, you know, the serious concern regarding graves uh, and the history and uh, some of the impact environmentally, which we're going to get into What's the what's the what is the objection to this coming there? Because wouldn't it bring more jobs there, more economics there? Because I read in your piece that there are a number of older people in the neighborhoods who still work as housekeepers, which I'm assuming Mm -hmm. is a part of the reason why you say it's less than middle class. So uh, wouldn't wouldn't this be uh, an improvement in the economy? Absolutely. I, I think that that that's a fair question. And I think that if from what I understand, the community is not against Wegmans coming to Hanover County, coming okay. to even Ashland, coming coming into anywhere within their vicinity. It's just this particular location that they have a concern with. Uh-huh. Um, that there, you know, throughout this process, there were a number of different sites within Hanover County that were uh, looked at and examined, and some of which, you know, were in areas where none of these issues, such, well, not exactly none, but where these issues were a, a little less mitigated. So, you know, um, where the wetlands weren't as impacted or there weren't as many cultural or historic issues present. Um, that would have still brought in Wegmans, gave them access to I-95, um, was in an industrially zoned area, and um, would bring in that tax revenue and those jobs. Um, so if so, for them, that was sort of like, well, why here? Why are you coming here? There's so many other um, reasons why you should maybe go to this other place. Um, but also, I think another thing is, you know, what they feel is Wegman saying that they're going to be good neighbors, but not really showing that in their current behavior. For example, exactly. not promising uh, a certain allotment of jobs for local residents, um, not uh, directly communicating with the with the community, um, but instead using public hearings and other um, platforms such as that to to kind of address community concerns. Um, so I think there's a lack of communication between Wegmans and the community, uh, direct communication, um, but also the fact that they aren't making any promises to kind of tell the community, well, this is the this is what's in it for you. This is the benefit of us coming in. This is how we're going to be good neighbors to you. Mm-hmm. by giving you X, Y, Z, and, and that's not taking place. Yeah. And they're just telling you, okay, what we're, what we're offering you is good and you should accept it because we're giving it to you. And we're saying that it's good. Is, is that what, that's what I'm hearing. Uh, 
ultimately, yes. I mean, they they're they're making assertions. They're they're claiming that they're a good company, and I'm not saying that they're not. Um, but they aren't necessarily taking steps forward to assure the community that everything is going to be all right. Yeah. So in reading more further into your piece, I see that uh, I know this has been a struggle and it's probably uh, has, you know, uh, scared a lot of people because it could change a community forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there have been some improvements, some or, or sh- should I say uh, some breakthroughs the way I think that's how you write it. There are some breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this process and, and, and then perhaps some setbacks as well. So would you just kind of tell us where things stand? Well, right now, um, as I mentioned, uh, Wegmans has purchased the property. Um, they plan to begin construction within uh, a few weeks, I believe. Um, so they have um, everything in place with the county, as far as I'm aware, um, that will allow them to move forward with the project um, part of their um, ability to move forward is starting the process of searching for those graves um, in the method and using the, the the team that they have chosen to to search for those graves. So the the distribution center is moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is what's happening. However, there are a few um, legal uh, challenges to the project that are pending. Uh, there's a lawsuit that has been filed um, by Protect Hanover, as well as the um, NAACP, the local NAACP, and a few other residents um, associated with the water permit that was granted um, and some some other issues that, um, you know, is is out there. So that could affect the the project down the line once that litigation gets um in full you know full throttle um and uh i'm not exactly sure if there will be any legal challenges to the federal permits but that is possible um and then also the community was just granted to be eligible for listing as a historical site as a national historical site and there Um, are additional steps that need to be taken in order to list the community as a historical site. But that is a huge accomplishment um, in and of itself just to be eligible. And so now that the community is eligible to be listed as a historical site, there are some additional considerations that they're hoping can be made um, to kind of you know, help uh, uh, protect the property even more so than what is currently agreed upon between Wegmans and um, and and the community. Well, not necessarily the community, but other interested parties, mm-hmm. because the community still is disputing some of those things on the on the memorandum of agreement. But they are hoping that the um, the historical status of the of Brown Grove itself will help, if not to, you know, uh, with this particular um, project, um, that it may help with any future um, industrialization in the area. Yeah. One of the things we haven't talked much about, and you've alluded to it several times, but I just wanted to ask you a couple of really quick questions about the environmental impact there, the wetlands. As I have said before, I drive that road 95 south a lot, and I drive right through Ashland, 
or, mm-hmm. you know, on 95. And I see those wetlands. Mm-hmm. You know, I see exactly what you're talking about. So um, give us a sense of what um, the, what how much concern there is and, 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 and the expanse of the wetlands there that are in question. So the amount of wetlands that's being impacted um, was estimated around 15, um, 15 acres of wetlands. Um, but there's a dispute in whether or not that's the the total that's going to be fully impacted by this project. Um, the area is, um, you know, it already floods, um, especially around where, especially Ashcake Road, which is the, the road that Brown Grove Baptist Church is on um, and the road that you would take from one particular I-95 exit to get to that area. Uh, and so there's concerns with, you know, building on that property the effects of you know flooding and also the fact that a lot of the residents are still on well water and people aren't necessarily sure exactly how the well water and the wetlands um mm-hmm. how the wetlands and building on top of the wetlands will impact the quality of their water there's there's a different uh, mechanism for permitting um associated with that um but i think it's mostly you know when we think about the the ecosystem there and um, the potential for loss of you know certain species uh, and things of that nature, that is that's terrifying. But I think it's also the unknowns that are more terrifying for the individuals that live within proximity of where the building is going to be. They don't know, for example, if it's going to affect their water. They don't know if it's going to. Um, you know, if there's going to be noise pollution, if there's going to be air pollution, if there's going to be, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are elderly and have um, health concerns mm-hmm. and and they aren't certain whether or not this building that's going to be running 24-7 with its sewage, with its, um, you know, whatever is happening over there, if that is going to make them even sicker. And I mean, it's it's a valid concern. Yeah. And, you know, I think some people may think and hear that and say, oh, that's just paranoia. But, you know, when you are um, when you've been encroached upon in this way for, you know, 50, 60 years and you're seeing things like dust coating your your cars and and, you know, hearing airplanes all the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, something like this is is frightening in and of itself um, in terms of of how it's going to affect you physically and health wise. So, um, you know, the environmental impact is is difficult for them, um, but it's also those those health unknowns that are concerning as well. So what would or could Wegmans do to make this right and acceptable for the people in the community there? Well, that's a really good question. And I, you know, I don't want to speak for everyone because I'm sure that there probably are people who are just like, oh, there's nothing they can do. Right. <laughs> but I think that um, one of the things that may be a good start is actually speaking to the community directly. Um not choosing to go through the public forums of a hearing or, um, you know, 
taking those uh, side steps to to hear them out, but actually reaching out to the different organizations that are working to um, to oppose this project and the CEO sitting down and having, you know, an actual chat with them. I think that would be really a a really important step. Um, And I think also, as I mentioned earlier, um, making some sort of promise to the community that they're going to do right by them, that is more than just a promise we're going to do right by them. So saying, okay, we're going to put aside 10% of the employment or or something along those lines for residents of the community or Hanover County residents or, um, you know, maybe creating some sort of park or fund or um, contributing to the historical preservation of Brown Grove. Yeah. Um, something along those lines to kind of say, you know, we we know that you're here and we acknowledge your presence and we're not just coming in without knowing that there were, we're not just occupying your land without knowing that you were already here. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I imagine too, that all that stuff would be, would be fine with, you know, the rest of the folks because they, but your suggestions seem to be very reasonable to me. But mm-hmm. also, um, would it be safe to assume that if they did all those things and found another location there to put that factor, that plant or that facility, that that would be have to be a part of the package? Because moving it from where it's planned seems to me to be the number one issue. Is that right? Well, I think that was the desire early on. I think the idea of them moving to another site now is probably unrealistic hmm. considering that they've already purchased the property. Um, it, you know, I think that was the goal uh, initially when um, this first started was to, to, um, to, to, to have Wegmans go to one of those other sites, but those other sites in some instances are now being used for other projects. So I don't know if it's possible now for it, it, to to me I think that it's either stop or you know find a way to make it work. <laughs> um because I I think this is the this is the property that they want. They bought it. I don't think that going somewhere else now is is possible. Never know. I mean, (laughs) the kind of the kind of uh, traction that you, I'm sure, have been getting because of this piece in The Washington Post has brought a lot of eyes to this. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's it's interesting. The response was almost immediate. I started getting emails, you know, I. I, I, my, uh, approach to writing is once, once you start making people mad, that's when you know you've made it. So (laughs) yeah, the trolling emails, uh, within like a a few hours of the piece coming out. Um, and, uh, yeah, people are, it's definitely getting some attention. Um, and I will say that, you know, the, the option of it not taking, of it not happening is still on the table. Um, Mm -hmm. For example, the Union Hill project, um, there was a pipeline that was supposed to be uh, 
put in the Union Hill community in um, Richmond, I believe it's near Richmond, uh, which is another historical, a black historical community. And they had already started construction on that pipeline when um, when the court, when the when the federal courts decided, well, you know, environmental justice is not a box that you can just check. Yeah. And they and they then abandoned the project. So it is it is possible that yeah. it could go that route as well, depending on what the court says. Well, we'll have to wait and see what it says uh, or what what happens next. And we'll certainly stay in touch with you. But I greatly appreciate you taking time to talk to us on Colors today about this, because it is really gigantic. Just the importance of, you know, when you start talking about cemeteries and history and culture and race mixed up in economics and, you know, a place like Richmond which everybody or a lot of people know, most of the folks that listen to this podcast know that Richmond was the capital of the Confederacy. So there are a lot of other concerns out there as well that, you know, have to be dealt with most likely. So we're grateful that you took time to talk to us. Just one last thing. Um, What haven't I asked you about that you think is important about this story that you'd like to talk about a bit? Oh, wow. That's a really great question. I think one of the things that I think is really important about this story for everyone to remember is that it's not it's not simple. It's this is an example of centuries of racialized um, uh, discrimination of, um, you know, institutional racism associated with um, impacting Black communities in a way that may not always seem like it's intentional, but um, but does what it does to keep uh, certain communities from prospering um, and living up to their full potential. Um, it's funny, I, I was talking to the my co-writer um, who helped me write this piece. Uh, her name is Melody Schreiber. She and I were... Um, texting one another. And I wanted to mention the infrastructure bill um, because I-95 was the first, one of the first um, projects to come in to divide and um, potentially destroy the community Um, because Brown Grove itself used to be much bigger than what it is currently. But then I-95 came in and cut it right in half. So um, this is a, a, an issue that isn't just about Wegmans, but it's about um, imposing upon, um, you know, historically uh, communities of color and uh, using that vulnerable community to then flip the script and say, oh, well, we're going to be bringing in revenue. Um, but who is actually um benefiting from these circumstances is the question that I have. Yeah. And, you know, the answer is always the same. It's interesting. The answer is always the same in those cases. It's not the community. It's the big business that usually uh, makes all the money. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking time to do this. Um, And uh, I'm hopeful that we can uh, catch up with you later on this story and see how this turns out. I would love that. Thank you. 
You're listening to Colors. My name is Susie Askew. I am a Korean American living in Tacoma, Washington. I am the product of the U.S. military overseas. My biological father was an Ecuadorian immigrant serving in the U.S. Air Force stationed in Korea. My stepfather, who brought my family to the U.S., is African American from Memphis. He was the youngest of 12 children, with the military being his most viable option to make a better life for himself. My mother, who raised two biracial children in the U.S. as a single working mom, struggled through language barriers so that I could become a school administrator and my younger brother a police officer. Navigating American life with the intersection of all these identities can be difficult. I often feel that white America struggles to understand how personal lived experiences intersect with the political and the systemic. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments or thoughts about the program and you'd like to contact us, you can do it by emailing us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. And that includes our very own Podcast DC app. I am Susan Goodyear. I am white. My name is Rajesh. I'm American, but my race is mixed with Indian and Hispanic. My name is John Echohawk. I'm a citizen of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma. I'm J.J. Green. And I'm Black, and this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. My guest co-host will be Hagar Chamali from the YouTube show, Oh My World. It is where I cover the top world news stories in a fun and easy way and why they matter to a young American viewer. And in it, my favorite part is where... We expose the activities of dictators and human rights abusers while also sharing stories of those doing good around the world. And our guest is Bumi Akinasoto, Deputy Director of the Wrangell Fellowship at Howard University. She was a political appointee in the Obama administration, serving as a special assistant in the Office of Land and Emergency Management at the EPA. And while there, she made note of a very important practice. You know, the administrative staff, the HR staff, the IT support, the sort of um, support community primarily was black and brown women. Um, And everybody who did policy uh, or sort of the substantive work were, were white. And both of these women have been working to change that. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for another show. Thank you to Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler, Rosalind Whitaker-Heck, Gretchen Soren, Thomas Warren, Joey Rivera, Greg Christian, Denise Douglas, Zulia Orozco-Reynoso, Francesco Sisi, Patty Conrad, and for the music, thanks to Jesse Gallinger, Cosmic, and Offshane. And as always, a hefty thank you to you for listening to us. And finally... Just remember to keep talking to each other. And just as importantly, keep listening to each other. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.